Hey, y'all, I'm going to take a second to give a quick shout out to the official mortgage lender of the Hunt Lift Deep podcast. That's Casey Burns of Prime Lending Mortgage. I've known Casey for 10 years and he's the only lender I use. I've used Casey to purchase two houses and the process has been seamless and easy each time. He's the heart of an educator and he truly cares about what's best for his clients. He specializes in VA loans, but can handle FHA, conventional investment loans as well. He's a true expert and specialist in his field and there's no one I recommend more than Casey. You can contact Casey at casey.burns at primelending.com, reach him by phone at 919-710-1864. You can also check out all his reviews at www.closewithkc.com. Thanks, y'all. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Hunt Lift Eat Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Luke, and today I'm here running with Carter and Derek. What's going on, fellas? Not a whole lot, man. Just uh, excited for this episode. Yeah, I've been looking forward to this one all week, man. Yeah, we have a super special guest this week. We've got Tony Cowden. Uh, Tony <clears throat> is an avid hunter, uh, veteran. Actually, he's currently actively in the National Guard as a Green Beret. Uh, runs a training company and is now running for Congress. So it's a huge guest for sure. How you doing, Tony? Great, great. How are you guys doing? No complaints. Uh, Carter actually killed a deer this morning. Nice. Yeah, I've been running around a little crazy trying to... <laughs> Go to deer, wash the blood off, run up here, start a podcast, and <laughs> it's uh, only 10, 10 o'clock, so we're getting after it. You wouldn't have hurt my feelings done if you were still covered in it. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, man, I got to be there for Tony, so I better better hurry up. Hell yeah. Hell he wasn't yeah. going to come on, but peer pressure won again. Luke called him a little bitch, and, and here he is. <laughs> I cave man, every time. I, I didn't hunt uh, at all. In December here in Carolina, I usually take December and just bow hunt. And uh, man, my freezers are so full that one of them is ratchet strap shut. So I really couldn't justify killing anything else this year. I've had such an amazing year that I've had to buy two new freezers. And you know, even though our deer overpopulated here, you know where I live, man, and I just really I, I don't have anywhere to put another pound of meat. So uh yeah man i had an amazing year of hunting freaking and i'm not sure i'll ever be able to replicate it <laughs> that's a that's probably the best problem to have yeah what an incredible problem yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what was me <laughs> oh i've got all this meat <laughs> yeah yeah i had amazing hunting trips this year it was just i don't know what to say it was horrible <laughs> what uh what states did you hit this year oh man uh early this year back in march we went out to New Mexico and were successful on some Barbary sheep, all died. That was a pretty cool hunt. Uh, I got to take a good friend of mine, a, a young man who worked for me, and uh, then decided to join the Army and go chase that, that funny green hat and go to selection. So I got to take him hunting right before he went off to basic training. And, man, it was kind of cool. We both dumped all died. About 300 meters, we stalked him all day they just we just couldn't get close to them and uh, we got up on them man and it was kind of cool i hit one racked the bolt rode off the gun he got on the gun hit another one man and i mean it was just like you know they say you can't get close to all that they say you know if you ever see them you better shoot them because you may never see them again and, and all of that was true right up until that last moment where we crested the hill and poof there they were and uh so that was really cool and then New Mexico again, northern, northeastern New Mexico in August for uh, uh, pronghorn. And that was really cool because Melissa got to go with me and she only had two days of the four uh, of the four day hunting season to hunt. And she was successful day one with a really cool hunt on her part because it was it was all hers. She spotted the animal. We kind of split up a little bit. She spotted the animal, planned her stock got within range and and only thing i did i gave her a little wind call and she dumped the little dude uh little dude it was actually a really nice pronghorn but i reckon all pronghorns are relatively little dudes and uh then myself and my my buddy ryan we, we were both successful as well so that was that was awesome and then man i went to alaska in september and that was that was a really special hunt uh, a young man that I grew up with was he moved to North Carolina, went to high school together. He 
all he ever wanted to do was move back to Alaska, right? He grew up in Alaska. So it wasn't long after we graduated high school, you know, I went in the army, he went back to Alaska. And uh, so we went up there and I got a Grizz and an amazing, amazing Yukon moose, bro. 69 inch, huge, huge moose. That's badass. Yeah. And, and got to reconnect with him, make friends with all his Alaska buddies. You know, it was two weeks in the backcountry, you know, 39 miles up the river uh, from the dirt airstrip type of Alaska hunt, man. I mean, just amazing, right? That's awesome. Yeah. I, I did my first in Idaho. The only thing we were successful in Idaho is we got a lot of backpacking. Uh, we could call it armed hiking, if you'd like. Uh, some austere weather camping. Um, I saw five elk on day two out of nine days up there, man. Uh, five and, and four of them were all nice shooters. Little little bachelor group. And we just couldn't get close to them. And we tried hunting those same animals, tried stalking them, tried tracking them. Nine days, man, not successful. Really, really bad weather. We were up in the mountains. Um, not really bad weather, but, you know, definitely not great weather. So we had to suffer a little bit. Probably great hunting weather had there actually been elk to see. Um, so we moved on along from there, man, and turned right around and went to Montana. And I got a nice little 5 by 5 elk and a really nice whitetail, man. Guy was right around 200 pounds. You know, Montana, so not, not a huge uh, – oh, actually – that's him right there. There he is right so maybe there. About yeah, that's him right there. Um, maybe about 100, 160 inches or so, a little, you know, nine. In North Carolina, we could probably call him a 10-pointer, but he's really a nine-pointer. Uh, and um, it, it was just a great hunt. And my, my buddy Ryan was able to go with me on, on three of those different hunts, man. It was just – we had a great time. So that's probably the long version of all the different places I hunted this year. But it was just – man – like I said, just something I, I don't know that I'll ever be able to replicate. I'll, I'll try. <laughs> yeah, that's a hell of a season. Yeah. That is a I was, hell of a season. Uh, I was following along with that Idaho hunt. That seemed like a rough one between the weather, the altitude, the not seeing animals. And then didn't you get pushed off the fucking road uh, coming out of there too? Yeah. Uh, you know, Melissa was with me the first week. And on Saturday, I had to take her in the Boise and drop her off at the airport so she could go back and like – I don't know, like she's got a job or something that she had to get to, <laughs> and uh, you know, be a responsible adult. That's that's for some bullshit yeah, right there. thing. So on the way back in, man, uh, a fellow with a camper kind of swerved to avoid a, a fallen tree, and you know, it had been snowing and raining all week, and I gave him some room, and the side of the the road collapsed on me, and we did we ran off the road in the probably the one place that I could have not died or been lost and found in the spring type of thing. And, uh, man, we missed this huge stump by inches. The truck was, as we were climbing out of the truck, it was kind of hilarious. We were worried about the truck rolling over. So as I climbed out, I had to climb out the window. And, like, I was leaning and pulling back on the truck as my buds were getting out because we were worried about it rolling the rest of the way over. Yeah. So luckily, you know, we had some. We had a winch and all the off-road recovery stuff, and some other fine redneck folks came along, and we hooked a bunch of. At one point, we had four trucks hooked to my truck and the winch, and we were able to to pull her out of there without it, without really any damage to the truck. If you look at the video, my grill isn't in the truck, but that didn't happen there. That actually happened the week prior here in North Carolina. Somebody pulled out in front of me, and I smashed them. Uh, so I just pulled the grill out and drove to Idaho, but yeah, um, you know, I had a couple of friends that went with me that kind of pushed out <laughs> after a couple of days and they like packed their stuff and left cause it was so cold and you know, they're flatlanders, man. The mountains were, were whooping their asses a little bit. And, um, so it was an, it was, we dubbed it the hunt from hell. Uh, you know, it's one of those hunts had we killed something, it would have been probably the best hunt ever. Yeah. But if we didn't kill something, it was like, this just sucks. Fucking bullshit. <laughs> All right. But it didn't. You know the deal, man. Yeah. It, it, even though it wasn't, you know, that's what that's what backcountry hunting is all about. You know, it's, it, it's difficult. You know the terrain is going to be difficult. You're hunting out of a backpack. 
no ATVs, no horses, no mules, the trucks miles away. You know, there's that, that difficulty that makes that type of hunt so awesome. You don't, man, you could, you could fall, break a leg and ultimately you, without rescue, you could die. You know what I mean? Even though you're only shit, 50, 60 miles from the nearest town, you know, it's, there's that element of, okay, there is some danger here. We're disconnected. There's no cell service. You're living out of a backpack. So, you know, for my civilian friends who've never spent a lot of time in the woods, you know, or, you know, I, I was a sniper recce dude for a long time, man. So a lot of living out of a backpack. So I still really enjoy that stuff. But for some of my civilian friends, man, their first exposure to that type of hunting, they're like, holy crap. Like, this is a little more than I was expecting, you know. Um, and, you know, like my girlfriend, she's a dentist, man. And she seven days in the woods, you know what I mean? Freaking, And she loves it. She loves being in the woods. She loves hunting. Uh, the bad weather doesn't bother her. She's fit enough to carry her pack. So, like, my best hunting buddy is a chick. <laughs> because <laughs> pound for pound man she's way more fit than i am or any of my buddies um so anyway you put a 60 pound backpack on her though she's carrying half her body weight um you know 60 pound backpack on one of us we're carrying a third or a quarter of our body weight you know not to give up not to give up my weight or whatever <laughs> <laughs> but yeah how about y'all man what kind of what did you guys get into this year your uh your trip there kind of sounds like my uh, Colorado trip. Um, not bad weather wise, and I didn't get pushed off the road, but never saw an animal, never, never even got close to anything. But I wouldn't have traded it because it was my first Western hunt, and I was out there in the woods going after it, trying to get something. And like it, it sucked because I didn't see anything, but it was still a great experience, and and I would do it again in a heartbeat. You know, I've hunted Colorado four, five times. Zero. No shit. People don't realize. I think in this day and age, you see so many folks on social media. They're like, oh, look at this awesome whatever I just shot in Texas. And you're like, that's really cool. But for those of us that know that you shot that animal on a high fence ranch and you paid for it, it's still hunting. No judgment. But for those of us know what backcountry hunting is, eh. So a lot of folks these days don't realize that Colorado do-it-yourself public land hunt, that Idaho do-it-yourself public land hunt. And those are really the only two states left that you can hardly do that hunt with over-the-counter tags and stuff. A lot of folks don't realize just how difficult it is to be successful in, in those two places. Colorado is, man, I mean, you probably figured it out, right? All the public land is up high. Yep. And all private land in the valleys, as soon as the weather comes in, the elk move to private land, your hunt's over. Yeah. We're not going back up on that mountain, you know? And in Colorado, the, I live in Colorado. I'm at Carson right now. And, like, I'll never hunt over the counter. There's just not, I'd rather pay $2,000 for a landowner tag and that is good across, you know, unit wide because it's yeah. like you're, you're, you're fighting every other guy yeah. on top of you. And then. <clears throat> I love the fact that there's more hunters on the mountain and in the woods, but the problem is, is these guys don't understand thermals. They don't understand wind. And so like you plan a stalk, you plan the direction where you're going to go and you look over like right in the middle of the, you know, the basin where it was the perfect grazing for either mule deer or elk. Yeah. And you got three hunters like walking through it. Yeah. With, and you're like, what are you guys doing? Yes. Yeah. It's yeah, literally, it's terrible. Everyone's hunt. And, and you know, that I guess that's part of learning, but at the same time, you can you can use other hunters and and how they're moving animals to your advantage. Uh, you know you know the deal. If you can get in there early and get further back, opening day, all those other hunters are going to come in. They might push animals to you. So it, you know it's not a great hunting strategy, but <laughs> you know it's a reality of public land hunting that that other hunters they're going to be there. Oh, yeah. You know, last year in Idaho, we put the stalk on a, on a herd, and man, there was a there was a beautiful at least six plus six, and I was like, okay, we spot them at like twenty six hundred meters. Started planning the stalk, you know, like five miles to get to them, and 
we got to about 800 meters from him. I popped over over the ridge and was like, oh, okay, we're good. They're still there. Everything's awesome. Started moving back around. Pow. Another hunter. I scurried back up, looked, and he was on the ground, dude. Oh, man. <laughs> you know, but we were nine miles from the road on public land. It was us and those boys. So they had worked just as hard as us. You know, I can't be mad at them. Uh, they were just a few hundred meters ahead of us. And come to find out, we were nine miles. We had come up from the south to the north. And those boys had came in kind of from the uh, from the northwest. and But they were seven miles from their truck. So, you know. We had all worked for it. They just got there first, you know? I think you'd have watched a grown man cry that day if that was me. Man, it was. It was pretty disheartening. Um, but, you know, that's why they call it hunting, right? <laughs> 100%. You know, it's yeah. – and it's funny, Tony, like your season of everything, just kind of – not everything, but, I mean, working out, coming together, and the best season of your, your life, that was almost this season for me. I mean, just – it was inches – I almost killed the biggest whitetail on my family farm with a, be my first bow buck kill. I had him at 22 yards. I needed him to take two steps. And my, it was my first time hunting out of a tree saddle. And the, I didn't tighten the platform. It had just a little bit of play. As I twisted to draw, it shifted and spooked him. It was brutal. I was going to uh-huh. kill him at 18 yards and uh, uh-huh. just lost him. And he was – my, uh, my cousin named the, the deer Luke after me because he's short and wide, super <laughs> wide. <laughs> And uh, yeah, that was brutal. And then I was <clears throat> about 15 meters from a five by five bull elk on a plains hunt. I didn't have, I didn't realize that in Colorado you can get a plains. It's anything east of uh, 25. It's an over the counter tag. Right. And I was antelope hunting with a muzzleloader. Happened to just crest this little IV line, and down in this bottom, this creek bottom, you know, dry creek bottom, there was this bull elk bedded down in there. And I was like, oh my god! And I had long enough time to call Perry. Tell him what I was looking at, and then video this guy as he ran off. Like it was, oh it wasn't a very mature bull, but I mean, for somebody who's never killed a bull elk, it would have been a hell of. And if I had known and had that tag in my pocket, I could have killed him with a muzzleloader. Instead and of then, calling Perry, your ass should have called and got a fucking tag. Well, you, you can't do that, but if, I mean, if, I mean, <laughs> you know, if, if it had been me, you know, five ten years ago, back when when I was really worried about making sure I was. Dotting all the uh, <laughs> dotting all the eyes, I probably would have shot him, got the tag, and then come back. But I decided um, to. Let's go. In, in hunting, there's there's laws and there's ethics. <laughs> yeah, ethically would have been all right. Legally, it wouldn't. But as, there, there are hunting laws and regulations, and then there's hunting ethics, and they don't always mesh up perfectly. <laughs> there's a, a lot thing. of gray area. Oh yeah. Oh, is there no? You know, uh, we can call it grayer if we want, but it's basically, is it ethical? Yes. Is it legal? No. Okay. That's not really a gray area. That's just <laughs> us trying to talk ourselves into, I'll just buy the tag when I get back to town. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. 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 No, yeah. I, I've known a lot of guys and, you know, here in North Carolina, man, you know, they're so overpopulated that they're not big, you know. Hell, my Rhodesian Ridgeback is big as most of the deer on my property. We've got one nice 10-pointer that I won't, any, won't let anybody shoot. I've had him for the three years we've been here. And when I say a nice 10-pointer, he's still like this big, you know. And he might weigh 160 pounds. And I feed him, you know, but there are just so many of them that, you know, that's the whole thing. If you ride down the road at night, you better watch out. You'll hit a deer. And it, it really sucks that North Carolina won't get aggressive about culling this deer herd. Our Western deer are great. You know, they've got acorns and walnuts and, you know, hardwoods to eat, you know, and they get their protein. Out here, if you see a big deer deer killed in eastern North Carolina, it was on a farm he's been, or at least a, a hunting club, he's been fed since he was a baby. But, yeah, North Carolina needs to get aggressive like Georgia did 20, 30 years ago. And just call this eastern herd is there's just too many of them, and all they eat is soybeans and corn, so they don't get big. But you know, yeah, I'm not really in charge of all of that stuff. So, <laughs> but you know, it's funny because you know here, you know, a lot of guys will take deer just for meat off of you know their neighbor, 
neighbor's depredation permit or something like that. You know, but I always tell folks, man, if you hunt here, you're going to be successful. If you just hunt five days out of season, you're going to take a deer in North Carolina. There's just so many of them. But, yeah, I don't know, man. It's tough. Those backpacking hunts are tough, especially late season. And, you know, if everything goes well (laughs) this year, I won't be able to hunt Idaho because Idaho is always there over the the counter. uh, Elk season is the first week of November. And uh, as if I win the primary, that'll be the general election week, you know, so I won't be able to hunt that. Uh, if I don't win the primary, then, you know, I'll be, I'll have a complete open hunting season. Uh, so nothing but time. <laughs> uh, so yeah, if I do win, I got, and I have the general, then I'll probably look at hunting that last, that last late season in Colorado. You know, I, I'm a glutton for punishment. It's like, I'm going to buy this tag. I'm going to go to Colorado. I'm going to hike in the mountains. I'm going to freeze my ass off, and I'm probably not going to shoot an elk. Cool. Sign me up. <laughs> there's there's some decent late season leftover tags. Uh, I ended up actually had two, and ended up not being able to go. I have a I had a kid in August, so I decided to prioritize the family a little bit because I've been right. hunting a lot. But my one of my squad leaders had rolled up, and we were going to meet up. But he uh, he was still he didn't see another hunter. I mean, it was a, it was a cow tag, but I mean, if you want to, if you're just after meat, like there's definitely uh, I would go leftover instead of OTC. The OTC units are just so blown out, yeah. especially by December. Yeah. Everything's down on, uh, or just getting the worst possible hell hope or no yeah. place to go. My, I've got, I was really lucky, man. I made friends with a fellow up in Montana and he let me hunt his ranch this past, uh, this past year that was at Montana hunt. And hopefully We'll get to do that again. So I may just do that. If that's the case, then, you know, the, the chances are good. You know, he's, he's, his property, he's got 22,000 acres and it bumps right up against state land. It bumps right up against BLM land. So he's kind of protected. And so that's why, you know, we, the morning of, you know what I mean? The sun come up and, oh, wow, there's a herd (laughs) type of, you know, so all that hard work in Idaho, I guess, got paid back in Montana. So I, that's most likely where I'll hunt this year, as long as you know, as long as he invites us back and cross my fingers for that. <laughs> yeah, that'll be awesome. I've decided I've got a Europe rotation coming up, so I'll be gone for nine months. I'm missing all hunting season, which sucks. But 2023, I'm gonna save those the money that I would spend on my 2022 tags, and I'm gonna go hit a private ranch after bull elk. So. There you go. Yeah. I'm, just, I'm tired of fighting all the other hunters. I don't really want a guided hunt. I'd rather do deep, you know, just a trespass yeah. speed DIY on a ranch where I know there's animals. But That's right. Yeah. I mean, you know, I tell folks all the time, like, hey, look, if you're not a hunter, you've never hunted before, maybe a guide is the way to start. It's expensive, but at least you'll get out there. I think the downside is that, and I hate to say it like this, but you'll understand what I mean, that when you pay a guide for your first hunt, the chances are you're going to be successful. And I don't know that you learn that much. You know what I mean? Uh, a good friend of mine, real good friend of mine took his son on their first elk hunt in New Mexico. And his 10 year old son dumped a really nice six by at 400 meters, right? Off a tripod, the kid can shoot, you know, dad took the due diligence there and taught his kid to shoot. And, uh, (laughs) you know, I'm not sure how much the young man learned. You know what I mean? Now, check this out. (laughs) He actually had a pass-through. The kid didn't shoot one bull elk. He shot two. Whoa. (laughs) Shooting 300 PRC, you know, 400-some meters, man. It passed through, and the elk weren't behind each other. The other elk was, like, way off. So it passed through and deflected and hit the other elk. So (laughs) he killed a nice 6 for 6 in a – Fully mature five by five with one shot. <laughs> That's some JFK shit right there. Right, right. Um, so of course they did have to, you know, to make it all legal and stuff. They had to purchase another tag and all that. Uh, and he was like, "Ooh, that was an expensive hunt for my son." And I'm like, "Yeah, I bet it was." But I guess you know what I, I'm, you know, it's it's kind of catch twenty two. You know, did how much did the kid learn? The cool thing was at ten years old. The young man said to his dad, next year I want to hunt like Tony and Ryan. This was too easy. 
that's pretty cool, you know, cool. for a 10-year-old to say on his own. So he's got a hunter in the making for sure. Yeah, I like I like a mix of uh, really shitty hard hunts and then some – I go down to a camp in Texas. Uh, a guy owns very successful older gentleman. His son uh, was in the SEALs, and so he brings a group of vets down every year. And it's like, you know, corn feeders, box blinds, little Mr. Buddy heater in the box blind. Like, you know, it's I, when I first opened the door the first time I went to this camp, you know, it was like a, an office chair that <laughs> I was like, this is yeah. this nice living. And yeah. it was it was right after I finished my uh, two seasons ago, my Colorado, where I just got my ass kicked, like, you know, 20 mm-hmm. degrees, 19 yeah. degrees the whole time. And uh, but I wouldn't want to only hunt like that. Like right. after a while, you'd be like, this is this is kind of, you're just shooting shit from a fucking cabin basically. Right. Yeah. I mean, some of these hunting blinds these days are tiny homes, you know, it's like, come on. Like you said, it's cool to get together with a bunch of guys and have a good time, get some meat. Um, but some of that Texas hunting, you know, it's just not my favorite thing. You know, I, I was raised, my dad was that quintessential old crusty tough guy, you know, he would put on two pairs of white socks you know, because as a, a growing young man, you know, my dad couldn't afford to buy me nice hunting gear. So, you know, I was going to suffer. I don't know if you guys remember them old, uh, those green rubber boots with the yellow laces. Oh, yeah. Two, yeah, two pair of white socks. That was my hunting boots. And it didn't matter if we were hunting deer, ducks in the swamp. You know, I, I was going to be cold and miserable. And that's just all we could afford. And... um so it was kind of cool. So now, you know, like I went on a, a wounded warrior type hunt in Texas and I was like, oh, so this is how regular people hunt. This is weird. You know, like you said, a little heater. I was like, hmm, we're in Texas. It's 45 degrees out. I could be wearing shorts and y'all have a heater. All right. <laughs> That's uh, fucking freezing for them, dude. All right. Yeah. So, you know, it's all perspective and, and it's all relative, you know. And that's why I tell guys, you know, I don't beat up on hunting, on anybody's type of hunting. You know, like the more folks we have hunting, the more folks we have, you know, sending money to the Department of the Interior, which is probably the only part of our government that actually does a decent job, best I can tell. Um, You know, the Department of the Interior has done its job. The American conservation model is the model the world uses. you know, that, that's a big deal. It's a huge, it should be something all Americans are proud of. You know, it's like turkeys, right? And don't quote me on these, but turkeys were, were only found in a handful of states when the settlers from Europe got here. And now they're in all of the lower states. All lower states now have turkeys, right? So we have increased the turkey population beyond what it ever was. And the same with elk and buffalo. You know, we're... They're elk in the Appalachian Mountains now, you know, and have for 10 or 15 years. They're growing, and they're huge. Them suckers, they're, I saw one up in the, on the Cherokee Reservation, and I was like, oh, my God. Like, <laughs> where did that thing come from? Um, so when those numbers get back, then eastern United States are going to have elk hunting too, and that's just, that's just amazing. You know, like I said, the more people hunting, the better. Americans should be really proud of our conservation model, you know? Um, And let's face it, you know, everybody thinks like PETA does stuff to help save animals and we all know better. It's hunters. It's, you know, when you go buy hunting ammo or a hunting rifle, there's a, there's a tax. Any ammo, any rifle, even taxes. All ammo. Yeah. Pittman Roberts. To the department of interior, man. It's like, it's some pretty awesome. And I've forgotten the name of the laws and the acts. But that was all early 1900s, you know, you can't really call them our forefathers, but in the early 1900s, you know, America had changed so much with the Industrial Revolution and stuff. Had those gentlemen, the, the American leaders at the time, not addressed conservation, we wouldn't have these animals that all of us are hunting today, you know? So, like I said, man, it's something to really be proud of, and it's it's kind of breaks my heart sometimes that most Americans just don't even know that that's, that's an American accomplishment, just like putting a man on the moon, you know? I mean, you look at 
So with this Europe rotation, I've been doing a lot of research on the European hunting. I figure if I'm already okay. over there and I, I get a four day, like yeah, we'll kill a red stag or a fallow deer or something. Yeah. But, I mean, and it's something I think we do take for granted because it is so privatized over there. There's no public land. Everything's hunting on these massive estates. Right. You know, a lot of it's, you know, I've just had to, except first I was trying to find like a free range hunt. I just kind of realized now, like if I'm going to hunt in Europe. It's not going to be that. I just no. you know, win in Rome type deal. So I'm just going to hunt the way they do. Right. But it's they don't have the opportunity. It is basically for the aristocracy. Even now, you know, it's for, right. if you don't have money, if you can't spend 25, like the cheapest I can find in like Bulgaria is like 2,500 euro to go hunt a fallow deer. And if, you know, in North Carolina, Virginia, Georgia, I mean, you can spend as a resident 70 bucks and kill 10 deer, you yeah. know, it's, it's badass, And right. people do take it for granted and not a, not enough people understand it. I was just watching a video on, uh, on Instagram. This guy was, doing some urban archery and killed a deer and like the neighbors were like harassing him yelling at him this kid was telling him he was a fucking asshole like a 10 year old with his dad there is like you know dropping the f-bomb all over the place because he's killing these deer and the guy's like do you guys eat meat and they're like well yeah and he's like you just proxy kill everything i'm you know killing this animal i'm doing it myself i know the process he's trying to talk to him and they're just just berating him like he's the worst person on the planet and it's just there's a disconnect that we have in society today that's unbelievable well, you know it's it's either or with every topic you bring up man it's either or and no one wants to talk or listen or or have adult conversations anymore they've made up their minds they've made up their minds and they don't want to listen to sensible answers they'll ask questions but they won't listen to answers to those questions and, and you know the numbers are there uh, you know i me and melissa about 90 percent of the meat we eat is something one of us killed the only time we eat meat that we didn't that we didn't harvest ourselves that we didn't kill ourselves and i've quit saying harvested i say kill now right um i'm tired of talking around what we're doing i agree 100 um, percent. So i've yeah, done that exact same thing yeah I, i'm not pussyfooting around with with the, the, for lack of better terms, the uneducated, the ignorant, and the crazy left, right? And they could be one of each of those, or they could be all three. Uh, typically, if they're the crazy left, they are ignorant, uneducated. Um, and I do, I try to talk to people, and I've been lucky. I have converted some folks over to seeing it differently. But yeah, man, you know, I know how that animal lived. I know how that animal died, and I know how that animal was processed. You know, I took my own personal care to deal with my food. You know, the it, it just it's so it's disappointing and, and not to be melodramatic, but sometimes it's kind of heartbreaking to listen to a left and PETA and the things that they say, you know, well, the cognitive dissonance of even like people that one, if you eat meat and you're against hunting, like I've just got nothing for you. Like right. the ignorance is just unbelievable. But right. even if you don't eat meat, if you're the most staunch of vegans, <clears throat> excuse me, unless you're, you have a, a little micro garden in your backyard and that's solely where you're getting all of your food. If you're buying anything from the grocery store, you are responsible for the murder, air quotes, of hundreds of thousands of animals. Yeah. I mean, it, I don't know if you watch Yellowstone, but Kevin Costner has the line. He's talking to the the protester about, you know, have you ever plowed a field? Have you ever turned over the soil? Do you know what that does to squirrels or to, to rodents, to rabbits, to the snakes. insects, snakes? I mean, so many animals are killed. And it's well, just. And let's face it, right? Most of them live in cities, which destroyed habitats. Yep. And most folks get in a car with rubber tires that's powered by it doesn't matter if it's electric or diesel or gas how did all of those things get made on property that animals used to live on and it's just not even it's not sensible it's not and again it's hard to reason with folks who have made up their minds when they're making their post about the horrors of capitalism from their yeah. iphone made with components <laughs> you know built by yeah. slave labor in china so yeah. like, you know <laughs> It's not I mean, about is, it's not about right or wrong. It's whoever can yell the loudest nowadays, and it doesn't right. matter what the facts yeah. are. Yeah, you're absolutely right. You know, um, it's hard, and and you know, I mean, shit, man. That's that's why I'm running. You know, that's why I'm, I'm running to be a representative. I, I 
you know, all of us good, level-headed, you know, in a lot of ways, country folk, right? Because I lived not in a city. I lived in Wilmington, North Carolina. And it's not huge, you know, 300,000 people. It's a college town with a beach problem. You would think folks were the friendliest people, right? It's the beach. It's a college. You know, man, people are grumpy and rude. They don't say thank you for holding the door. You know, it's like, I don't know, man. The cities, for lack of better terms, the cities and the people who live in cities in America have just gotten too big for their britches. You know, it's like their lives are so easy and they're so disconnected from nature the only time they ever see nature is on a paved walking trail in a park, you know, and, and I'm not beating them up. I'm saying that I, that I'm sad for them. And at the same time, I expect them to have a little bit more bandwidth, maybe a little more agility in their thinking that they could at least imagine what it would be like not living in a city, <laughs> you know, and not being so spoiled that where basically all they do is snap their fingers and their groceries appear at their door. Right? I mean, you Costco delivers, there's a delivery service for everything. Now, you know, your food, your lunch, your groceries, your pet food. I mean, we just don't have to hunt at all anymore. And, and I get it. You could easily say, and we hear city folks say it all the time that we have, become more civilized that we don't need to hunt anymore. And I'm like, have you been to a hog farm or, you know, a cattle cattle slaughterhouse and tell me how civilized that looks. And don't get me wrong. I am in full acceptance. I am in full support of our cattle and hog farmers. They're huge here. My neighbors want, I'm good friends with them. But the reality is, you know, as delicious as those animals are, they, they don't live an amazing free life. That's just the, the reality of it. But that's sustainable food sourcing. You know, it's just the reality that if we want to have this many people on this planet, we're going to have to farm animals, you know, and it's just a disconnect. And, and it's not even, it's, it's not even just, purely city folks anymore, right? Like even country folks don't have to work hard for their food anymore. They just go to the grocery store. So I'm going to shut the door real quick, guys. All right. Yeah, no worries. Looks like somebody didn't get the memo about they're not supposed to shoot till noon on the range. (laughs) Did, uh, have you always been political or is this something that's recently been developing or maybe come from your background? Like when you're in the soft community, you realize like politicians have a lot to say and where you're going to go and what you're going to do. Did it kind of start there? You know, I think throughout my life, I've been very good at acceptance, right? Just being like, this is the way it is. Uh, you know, I have to work from where I'm at. I'm a very practical, not a very ideological person. And I think a lot of political people are ideological, right? As in, they are always focused on the way things ought to be or the way things should be and fixing stuff. Where I'm the guy who I'm like sitting here in the mud and the rain and the cold. And I'm just like, well, it's the way it is. And I'm going to work from where I'm at. I have problems that I'm going to solve from right here. I'm always... I'm just going to think about the here and now, the 50 meter target, not the, you know, not the 10,000 meter target. So no, I've, I've never cared about politics one bit. You know, I joined the service, I joined the army during the Clinton administration, you know, getting a little older. (laughs) And so I, I went to Afghanistan under George Bush and I went to Iraq under George Bush, and I went to Afghanistan and Iraq under Obama, right, and under Trump, and to a couple of different places now under Biden. So, as a soldier and you know an operations guy with the agency, man, I, I just kind of accept the fact that they are my boss, and I go and I do what they 
this side is good for America because I do believe in our democracy. If the people elect the president, that is my boss because the people said so. It doesn't matter if I agree with them or not. And I think sometimes, you know, some folks will say, well, you're just following orders. And I'm like, that's your job. That is the job, right? Just because you disagree with that president or that president doesn't change the fact that the American people elected them. And therefore, they became our bosses. Now, we have the duty and the legal obligation in the military not to follow illegal orders. And I can say throughout my career, I never, I was never issued an illegal order and I never issued an illegal order. We had a mission, find, fix, and finish terrorists. And we followed that mission. Right. So it's, uh, you know, fast forward to the last year and all of a sudden I, I look at our military leadership following illegal orders like the mass mandates and we're not the mass mandates, the correction, the vax mandates. Right. Not only are they illegal in the military, but they're unethical as a military leader. I have to look out for my subordinates. And that is my number one task and duty. My roles, duties, responsibilities, first and foremost, will always be to my men and women that work for me. Period. I think a lot of dudes fucking forget that when they move up in rank, too. They're just oh worried God, about their next, career, their next career progression. That's right. They, they, they start looking upwards to major, lieutenant colonel, colonel, or from first sergeant to sergeant major. You know what? I've been in E7 now for like 10 years. <laughs> you know, I could retire in E7 and be happy. Apparently, I am on the E8 list and I have zero aspirations to be a sergeant major. I care about taking care of the boys. I work at our, our training detachment. So I'm one of the guys that helps provide training to the next generation. And that's all I care about. That is my mission is to ready the next generation for combat. So taking care of those men, first and foremost, right? Uh, the, old, the original AFO commander in Afghanistan, a guy named Pete Blaber, he wrote a book called The Men, The Mission, and Me. And it should be required reading for every new officer and every new junior NCO. But it's not because the folks who are in charge read a book like that and they're like, whoa, we don't. We don't want that kind of leader because he's going to question what we say. We need people to fall in line. Well, Pete Blaber, he was an operator, man, first and foremost, and he cared about his men. We can always put the men first and still accomplish the mission. So, you know, as things progressed and I watched the way, you know, the military was already pretty bad. Even when I joined in, in 97, there was already careerism, right? And people want to get promoted. But back then, I think people wanted to get promoted to do the right things. Whether they were doing them or not, that's not relevant. At least their intent was good. Now I feel like, you know, we have political activists in the military. Where, just like in the judicial system, right? We have political activist judges. So now we have these lieutenant colonels, you know, dancing around like frou-frous on TikTok. And they are trying to progress this very liberal agenda in the military. And it's only weakening our military. So when I saw those things happening, plus all the other craziness in America today, even in, in, you know, very much in the civilian sector, uh, that's when I decided to run. Uh, enough's enough. I, I hashtag that often, but I mean it. I'm, I am fed up with spineless cowards running our country, just caving at every single step. I, I've been critiqued that, and folks are like, why are you so hard on Republicans? Why are you so hard? You know, I made a post about Representative Tom Massey's Christmas photo. Are you guys familiar? With I actually didn't see it. I saw your post though. And that, that makes total sense. Why would you want to give the other side fucking ammunition to shoot down the platforms that you want to help. Well, Can you describe that was photo? my take on that, right? Can you describe it real quick? Yeah, so it, it's Thomas Massey, 
who is a, a, a true patriot, a good representative, uh, and a very much a 2A supporter. A great guy by all accounts. I've yet to meet him personally, but here's the deal. My take is this. They work for us, and I should be able to scrutinize anything and everything they do. I don't care if it's the president, representatives, senators, right? They work for us. And I think the biggest trick they've ever pulled on us is that, you know, a, allowing us to forget that they work for us. So long story short, it's his entire family, and they're all standing there with fully automatic weapons to include an M60. Merry Christmas. Well, a lot of the 2A, especially young folks, are like, yeah, that's awesome, fully automatic stuff. Yeah. And I'm over here going, hey, guys, why does he have half a million dollars of weapons around his Christmas tree, all weapons that you and I either can't afford to own or have to pay the government to own. They're not illegal, right? Like the NFA doesn't make fully automatic weapons illegal. They make them so highly priced and put a tax on them, just like a suppressor, right? Suppressors would cost $150 if there wasn't a tax stamp that goes with them in a waiting period, right? Because then every machinist out there could make them. So when I see a representative posing with a bunch of stuff that you and I can't have. I know his intent was good, but the optics to me were crap. Like, hey man, when was the last time you put any legislation on the floor to repeal the NFA or to make suppressors legal? And, and a lot of people said, yeah, but the Republicans have a minority right now. There's no way any of that stuff's going to pass. I, yeah, I don't care. Fight Everybody, that's a that's a catchphrase, man. I was at a, uh, a GOP meeting, a county GOP meeting the other night, and every potential candidate stood up and said, I'm the most conservative candidate you'll find. And I'm like, well, statistically speaking, someone in this room is wrong. <laughs> <laughs> and the other thing was, right, like, I'm a fighter. No one will fight harder for your rights than me. And I wanted to be like, I've got a question for you. And you and you, when was the last time you got in a fist fight or a gunfight or even you want to fight with your wife or husband? <laughs> I, need a, I need a record here, right? I, I need to know about your, your KOs. I need to, you know, tell me about your record of fighting, right? Because let's face it, the biggest thing most people fight with today is their iPhone, right? Like, ah, I can't get it to do whatever. Well, to me, that's not a fighter, right? Um. I, I have been in a few fights. Uh, I don't want to be in any more. I think I've had enough. You know, some of them, you know, some fist fights. Uh, I might have been in a bar fight here, you know, too, growing up. But, you know, whether it was sparring and training with my buddies or, or no shit, thousands of combat missions, man. When I listen to these folks talk about their conservative fighters, I'm like, get out of here. Get out of here. Right? Again, you fought with your email or you fought to download a freaking app on your phone. That's not a fighter. Shh. Right. Sit down. A lot of keyboard uh, warriors. Oh yeah. A lot of people like to fight on Instagram. Right. Oh, yeah. And that's what I got into with the whole thing with Massey. And then, you know, last week I slammed uh, representative green, Marjorie Taylor type and representative Crenshaw, Danny type. <laughs> They were bickering with each other on social media, like school children, back and forth. And I'm like, you guys are sitting representatives. Behave yourselves. Stop it. You're both Republicans. We're already divided enough, right? The, the Democrats have done an amazing job at subverting our country and dividing Republicans. So my contention is our current representatives need folks to come in and be the team sergeant, to be the squad leader or the platoon sergeant, to grab them by the cuffs and scuffs and ruffs of their necks and tell them to sit down and shut up and do their damn jobs, right? Because that's a big problem, I think, right? I see it in the so-called 2A community on social media. There's no one in charge, so everyone just fights about the dumbest stuff, like how you should draw a pistol or what barrel length your carbine should be. Or, hey, none of that matters. None of that matters if the liberals take away our gun rights. So we got to get on the same team, man. 
and I guess my whole my point of all that is there's not a single one of them, Republican, Democrat, or whatever third party they're in. They are up for my criticism because I'm a voter. And if when, and I'm, I'm trying to say when I get elected, please do not cut me one inch of slack. I don't care if I take a breath wrong. My first breath of the day, if it ain't right, I need to know about it. Right? Because as an elected official, I work for my constituents. And I need to know what they want. That's first and foremost, you know? Like, what do they want? What do they need? It's not what I think. I need to shut my mouth, right? I've had a couple people ask me to come to an event and and speak. And I'm uh, I'm like, do you want me to come and speak? Or do you want me to come and listen? And they just look at me. I'm like, would you rather me come and talk to you about whatever's in my head? Or would you rather me come down and sit down and listen to you about what's in your head and what's important to you? You're the voter. So we've gotten it all backwards. That's why our Congress freaking, and I use the quotation there because Congress means meeting, right? The word Congress means meeting. They are our representatives and our senators, right? And our founding fathers had, they had a plan and we've strayed from that plan and they have convinced us that we're supposed to listen to them. And that's horseshit. Pardon my language. I'm still working on the refinement piece. No, don't uh, don't never change that shit. You know, right? We're, uh, we're not we're not too, yeah. too fucking cooth around here. I, I I have an amazing advisor on my on my crew now. And uh she is seventy five years old. But I'm gonna tell you what, dude, she's a firecracker. And here's the reality, right? I need to listen to youngins. I need 22-year-olds for advisors. And I need folks my age and 30 years. I need every demographic on my crew. So, yes, I have this 75-year-old woman, and she is, man, she's a firecracker. Uh, And she agrees with me that we need term limits and retirement age, even though she's beyond what I think that retirement age should be, 68. Uh, and, and she and I were talking about that, that advisement and listening to people, listening to people. And she's a former, uh, house, uh, in, in C representative in C house, not us house. And she knows a lot of people and she knows the politics game. And the reason why she's teamed up with me is because everything I just said, because I'm talking about listening to the constituents. So anyway, man, that's that's I guess that's my kind of one over one hundred thousand view of this whole thing and why I'm doing it. And I'm only available, right? I'm going to do everything I can. I, I have a couple of big fights, right? We have a lot of issues, but there are some root things we have to address, and I am absolutely certain that we need term limits. And I have promised that I will only do four with a waiver to five. So eight or 10 years of this, and I am done. I am done. I will not do more than that. I'm not a career politician. I've turned down full-time jobs in Northern Virginia my entire adult life. The last thing I want to do is live and work in D.C. So I will do what I can in this very little amount of time, and then I'm going to hand it off to someone else, and I'm going to try to groom my predecessor or my, my, uh, whoever follows me, Right? I'm going to I'm going to break the tradition cuz this is a weird tradition. Incumbents won't support folks in the primaries. They don't want to be associated with a potential loser, which I think is absurd, right? In the military as a team sergeant, I groom my my whoever's going to follow in my footsteps. I groom the next guy. That's how we do it. So once I learn the job, it makes sense to me and to help find whoever I want to support and tell my constituents like, this is your guy. He's going to take over the hard work I've done, or this is the gal who's going to take over the hard work I've done. So when I talk to folks about this, I have an eight and 10 year plan for what I will and won't do. Uh, and, And it's funny because if you talk to most representatives, they have a two year plan, right? Get elected, 
do a little bit of going to D.C. fundraise. And that's what they do every two years. Yeah, well, I'm not interested in that cycle. Um, so anyway, like I said, I guess that's a that's a, a long run on one over 100,000 of kind of, you know, why I'm doing it and what I plan on doing when I get there. Hey, y'all. So we're going to go ahead and pause this conversation with Tony. Uh, we kind of had a, a breaking contact anywhere due to some internet issues. And it was like the perfect segue point to split this episode into two. So part two is going to come at you next week. Uh, definitely come back because we get even uh, deeper into his political campaign and kind of his thoughts and his stances on a lot of issues. And it's a great conversation. So we appreciate it. Uh, we're going to do a quick rundown on a couple of things HLE has going on. Uh, Derek, why don't you jump in and talk about the fitness challenge? Sure. So we've got the February fitness challenge coming up. It is going to start February 1st. You go to my fitness app or map my fitness, start a profile on there. If you don't already have one friend, the hunt, lift, eat official, um, profile. It's first name is hunt, lift, each hunt, lift, eat last name official. Um, and then we'll send you an invite from there. Doesn't matter what you're doing. If you fucking walk up a, a gnarly flight of stairs, you can count that. I don't give a shit. Just whatever, whatever you do for a workout that day, those minutes count towards the, uh, the grand prize and the winner will be whoever has the most minutes worked out during the month of February. There's going to be prizes for, um, weekly giveaways as well for the people that, um, we think have the most unique, uh, Instagram or Facebook posts that we're tagged in about the February fitness challenge. So, uh, there's going to be shit that we're going to give away for that. The grand prize winner is going to win a big, big frid, uh, cooler. One of the HLE stand to blade company, uh, Fenry knives. Um, going to be a bunch of other shit. Northwest NW retention is giving away a holster. Anthony is going to be giving away a, uh, nutrition consult. So there's a lot of stuff we're going to be uh, giving away for this. So get in there, sign up, participate, and, uh, just have fun. If you've been eating like an unattended toddler, like the rest of us, you probably need this. So get your fat ass off the fucking couch and start getting on your little phone, download the app takes no time. And you might walk away with a fucking cooler. That thing's huge. It's actually, I just, they're, they're doing a 20 quart. So it's a little smaller than we initially thought, but they are donating a, a cooler. So it's still badass. It'll have the HLE logo on it. But I'm super stoked. It's going to be fun. We've already got, we just, obviously we're recording this early. So we just dropped, dropped it. We've had, you know, 10, 15 people already signed up. So, you know, I think if we can get 50, 60, it'll be a good crew. We're going to continue to do this every year. Keep growing it, make it bigger, bigger prizes, bigger sponsors. This is our first run. So bear with us. Uh, cause as always, we're pretty technically fucking challenged and, uh, you know, we're not known for our intelligence. Yeah. This but, has been a pain in the dick just to let y'all know, finding, <laughs> an app, finding a fucking app that would do what we wanted it to do. And this app doesn't even do what we want to do, but it is the best of what we have. Like the best we, of all the reject apps. Yeah. We've downloaded almost every fucking fitness app that is on Apple and <laughs> this, this was the best. So you can send your complaint departments to Carter and uh, he'll, <laughs> he'll file them accordingly. <laughs> I'll send them to our HR rep, Caleb. The other thing we've got rolling right now, that's uh, our main focus is the hunt, lift, eat team uh, program drop. It just, we just dropped it this last weekend and it's going to close up on Sunday. Uh, we were, we'd planned on running applications for about two weeks, but due to the overwhelming response, we're actually cutting it a week early. So go ahead. If you're interested, go over to the website, huntlifteat.com slash join the HLE team, all one word, and just go through there. Please read through the whole, uh, everything we wrote. That's like the first test. It's pretty apparent when we see these applications, if you read through it or not, but read through everything, see if it's something you're interested in. If it is, go down to the bottom, click apply now hammer out your application. We're going to review it. If it's, if you're somebody that we think is going to be a good fit, uh, we're going to contact you and you're going to do a face to face. Well, a zoom interview with Derek Carter and I, and we're going to kind of talk through things and see where you're at, what you're about and add you to the team. So, uh, we're really excited for this. It's not your typical program, uh, that companies do brand ambassadorships, pro staff, that sort of thing. It's totally different. So get on there check it out, read what we wrote and find out more, but we appreciate you listening to this one. Definitely come back, tune in, for next week for 
uh, part two with Tony, and you guys are going to get a special bonus episode uh, unrelated to Tony dropping on Saturday to make up for the episode we, we missed out last week. Hey, go give Tony a follow over on Instagram at Tony underscore Cowden underscore four NC. Right? And you can check out his website. This is his official campaign website at TonyCowden.com. Go check him out. Follow what he's doing. See everything he's got going on. He goes into even more depth on his social media and his website about his platform, what he's running, what he's doing. If you want to support him, you can support him through his website and definitely hit him up. Go follow. If you want to follow me personally, follow me at Luke.D.Cox. If you want to follow Derek, follow him at Stantu Blade Company. And get off your wallets, you saucy fucks, and go donate to Tony's campaign. Yeah, what he said. Carter, where can they find you? Uh, you guys can find me at the homestead underscore GA. And go follow the Hunt Lift Eat Instagram at Hunt Lift Eat Official. That's where you're going to get all the updates for all the new drops, merchandise, all of the team program, the fitness challenge, all that shit. So go over there, give us a follow. If you haven't already, please, please, please go down and give this podcast a rating and a review, a five-star rating only because we're the best. But do that and we really appreciate it. It's going to help us out. Huge. It helps us with sponsors, everything else. So thanks.